Hey folks, it's John from AS for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Joe Richards. It's a rare treat that I get to talk to somebody who I knew before, uh, somebody who I had drank with, albeit 27 years ago or something like that. We knew each other back in high school, um, very young. I was probably like 16, he was 14, and we did our fair amount of drinking together in the same friend group. Um, but it was also great to hear his um, recovery story, which I didn't, I didn't know about, and um, how it worked and how he came to find and create a life worth living for himself and how he used many of the same tools that I did in a very different way. And um, yeah, it was extremely insightful and uh, entertaining. So um, without further ado, here is my conversation with Joe Richards. Joe, thank you so much for doing this. It's been, we were just discussing before we started recording that we probably haven't seen each other since Nirvana's second album came out or something yeah. like that. Probably around 96, I think. 96. 96, um, 97. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you went up north, and that was probably the last time I, you know, that last year. We we're about right. a year. Right. And I feel like we were, as kids in high school, we were sort of on the peripheral of a group, right? Like we were both a part of the same group. But we didn't hang out as much as we did with everybody else. Definitely. At least yeah. that was my perception of it at the time of who you were in my mind. Um, uh -huh. You know, because like I, I was close with like, or I was closer with like Danny and Ryan, right? And they uh -huh. were people that were part of your group from mm -hmm. much younger, right? Uh -huh. Something like that. So yeah, essentially it happened like, uh, yeah, we were, uh, yeah, we were pretty close at certain periods of the time, but I was somewhat transient within that group, right? right. You know, um, you know, as it goes, like, uh, you know, uh, I was really involved in theater, right? Mm -hmm. So I had my friends, you know, uh, and then I was, uh, you know, had some, I played some sports, I played some volleyball, so those guys would want to hang out, which was uh, entertaining, but sometimes disappointing, right? Like, not really satisfying any type of deeper level, you know? <laughs> love the guys but yeah it was like let's go egg someone's house i'm like again right again right <laughs> you know um but yeah then uh schwabi and those guys uh yeah i mean we went to like grade school together with like right. those so like i knew them from a while then of course mikey you know um as well We're... this is a name i'm okay. you can leave it out mike swecker remember him? oh yes yeah. yes yeah. yes yeah. yes yeah. So we grew up in the we grew up in the same neighborhood. Uh, well, my grandma lived in their neighborhood, right? You okay. know, Mike and I did, and then uh, uh, Danny uh, lived on the same street as Ryan, and then my grandma lived right down the street with them. You know, and Mikey lived right next to my grandma. So we would uh, do things like uh, you know smoke a little reefer and stuff like that, and we'd go see my grandma for Rupert floats, right? You know, <laughs> I was like. What and God bless her soul, you know, but yeah, she would just, she would love having us over there and she'd have sure. these her float glasses for us, which ironically, when she passed away, that's one of the things she gave to me. So I have the same root beer float glasses up in my cupboard because it was such like a fond membership of my childhood, both uh, pre-use and after-use actually, so. <laughs> huh, that's awesome. Well, um, <clears throat> so my, 
my fascination and my whole purpose and point with this podcast is try to understand, you know, my alcoholism and where it started. And the best way I've ever found that is by asking people, you know, about theirs. Um, And so what is like, what is your earliest memory that you remember with alcohol or, and, or drugs, you know, or some sort of uh, substance going back? Yeah. So uh, my first drink was at age nine, right? So uh, um, age nine, 10, I just moved into a new neighborhood. Um, It's probably the house that you went to is we were like the poorest people, like in the rich neighborhood, right? (laughs) Just about the second Mm -hmm. poorest, right? So all these people were like crazy, you know, like, you know, hotel vice presidents and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I was used to my neighborhood growing up, you know what I mean? And, uh, and uh, yeah, I was exposed to alcohol. There was a family down the road that uh, it's Las Vegas, of course. So mom goes and hits a jackpot and wants to get her family like into like the nice neighborhood and everything. Uh, ends up going uh, to the casino all day. And then we have like no supervision, right? And some uh, right. 22 year old dude babysitting us, which is kind of weird now that I think about it. And we have access to alcohol. It's all our alcohol, you know? So I had my first drink and that was at age nine, right? And it was uh, it was wild turkey is what it Jeez. was. And I mixed it with like, it was mixed with like a little Kool-Aid, but it was wild turkey. It was disgusting, right? <laughs> you know? But, you know, I, you know, some of my background, like I was raised Mormon. So we don't have like a framework for understanding how to drink normal. You know, there's there's nothing exists, right? Right. You do that, you're, you're just off the deep end, right? You know, so, uh, but yeah, once again, uh, you know, I'm the type of kid, I uh, got in a lot of trouble growing up. You know, I enjoy firecrackers, things like that. If you tell me I'm not supposed to do something, I'm like, it must be fun because that's what you want to do is you, you don't want me to have any fun, right? <laughs> so if there's a button there and you tell me don't to push it, I'm going to push it, you know? So I had my first drink of alcohol and I remember feeling warm all over. And I don't think I got fully drunk, you know, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I felt that connection to others that I hadn't felt, you know? Right. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I, I was completely okay wherever I was doing what I was doing, you know? And for a child, you know, I don't think it's like a very like common thing. We're constantly like in our heads and worrying what other people are thinking and this and that. At least I know I was, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, I felt part of these older kids from the neighborhood that were like 12, 13, you know? And it was fun. Like, uh, like once again, no parental supervision. So there's like, there's like porno, like 70s porn playing on the TV, you know? I'm like, whoa, I don't even know what that is. Like, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. Uh, we had a we had a bull whip for some reason, so so we were whipping each other with the bull whip, right? Uh huh. <laughs> I think there was some swimming, you know. And then I went I went home. I don't think my parents ever knew I drank or anything like that, but I knew I wasn't allowed to hang out with those kids anymore, right? Mm, right, right. <laughs> but it set something off in my head, and I didn't have my next drink till I was probably about fourteen years old, 13, 14 years old, and that was with. Uh, you know, Ryan, Danny, uh, Schwabi, uh, Steve, the Steves, you know, those guys. Yeah. And, uh, but I thought about it for the whole entire time. Right. I thought about it. It's like, I captured something that finally made me feel okay. And I'm like, I got to get back to that. I have to find a way to get back to that. Right. So, uh, so once again, you know, I'm around, uh, 14 years old and that's when, you know, the fun things like Boone's farms started, you know what I mean? Yes, I was there for some of that. Yes. It's Cisco. And I'm like, well, that's a little too much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I drink a little bit of Cisco and like, and just whatever you get your hands on, we would go fishing. Right. We'd go up to that place on industrial and we'd find some guy 
to go in there and buy us alcohol. And you really learn about alcohol doing that because they're never going to get you like <laughs> what you asked for. You right. Know I mean? And the guy would come out with like some like bottle of something nice for him and like a bunch of like King Cobra 40s and stuff like that. For Just us. some trash that you didn't want or something. Like, yeah. Like, want, yeah. And uh, the other part that I remember about that, and I learned this very quickly, is uh, the Strawberry Hill Boons Farm, right? So not the best tasting, but the alcohol percentage was higher, right? And I learned that, that that's what I wanted is I wanted that effect that that was going to produce. And uh, a few, like, I think it was maybe a year after that time they came out with the strawberry daiquiri, which tasted great, right? Mm -hmm. But I wanted the strawberry hill still, right? Because I'm not drinking uh, for anything but the effect produced by alcohol, right? Um, We're effective drunks, right? We want to yeah. be effective with our, with our alcohol consumption. Exactly. I, want, I want to be efficient. As I was older, it was like, <laughs> I would go down the line, look at the proofs. I'm like, pop off, great. Let's get that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I wasn't a, a you know, of course there's times when, you know, I'd go out with my respectable friends and try and do those things and, and keep up appearances. But the reality of it is when I was alone, which is how I drank, you give me the most cheapest clear liquor you can get. And that's what I was going to drink. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah. Occasionally I would do things like, uh, this is my big things. I'd go to Smith's Food King. I'd buy like, you know, a thing, a big thing of pop off, you know, like a fifth or a handle or something like that, whichever ones, you know, I had money for. And I would get like, a, I get the big A, like sodas, I think they were. They're like 25 cent sodas, right? And I'd get like grape and like the lemon lime one, right? And, uh, and I'd go make myself mixed drinks. But these mixed drinks were like, here's the alcohol. And then I'd splash a little bit of the soda on top of it. Cause in my head, <laughs> I caught myself one morning, I just, I just like, like this just a just a quick little dab mm -hmm. i got a quick little dab i was like why are you even doing this anymore why are you even doing this <laughs> like it's literally like pointless you know but in my right. head I'm like, you know what <clears throat> I mean? so but yeah that was my uh just to tell back that was my like first experience was at age nine and those experiences in ryan's backyard you know uh i'd always end up on that they had like this uh like that jungle gym thing right mm -hmm. And whether it was like my first cigarette, first time smoking weed, uh, first time being really drunk, I'd end up on the platform on that, holding onto it face down for my dear life because I'm afraid to fall like three feet, right? <laughs> but but um, but then I'd want that again, you know, anything to get that moment of just like not fucking caring. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Feeling a part of. So. And I do want to say just really quickly too, that all these guys that we hung out with and stuff like that, I don't think that any of them were like necessarily a bad influence. Like these were all, and some of these people I'm still close with and in contact with and, and absolutely adore and respect, you know, and love. And yeah. so I don't want it to seem like we're talking about like some group of, you know, rotten kids when in fact you and I are sitting here. So it's probably true that we're the rotten kids. You know what oh. I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, I was like notorious for that. So like, uh, you know, the best example was, uh, uh, uh my sister was four years older for me, um, by my senior year of high school, when I was kicked out of school, I was selling everyone weed, making everyone fake IDs. And my sister is like, had these older friends that I was friends with, you know? Um, and she's like, I know who you're hanging out with. You shouldn't hang out with them. They're bad people. They're selling drugs. What she didn't realize is I was selling them drugs to sell, right? <laughs> like I was like, <laughs> you know, but you know, we're just kids being kids. Man. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's all like really harmless. 
mean, mm-hmm. yeah, what a great bunch of dudes, you know, you're just, we're just experimenting and whatnot. Right, right. But, and that's what it is. And I don't really don't view any of their drinking as alcoholism, as far as I saw, not that I'm aware of. Um, first off, it's none of my business, whether it is or not. But the reality is, is that um, when I would drink and when I do drink, it's like this switch goes off inside my head, you yeah. know? And there can be other people around me, right? And it can appear that I'm drinking with other people, but I'm drinking by myself, right? I'm isolated yeah. in the room and I can be funny. I can be social. Like I can give the appearance. People may not notice because they've had a few, but it's really me drinking, right? You yeah. know, that's what it is. So it's, yeah. so it's different. I have this switch inside my head. And so, Yeah. Uh, it's just, and so this, this whole high school experience is happening. Um, you know, it's pretty, it's kind of chaotic and dysfunctional, but it's still fun. Um, there's yeah. some consequences. Do you, do you run into any serious consequences at this time? Uh, no, <clears throat> or do you come out unscathed at this point? Very minimal uh, consequences. So there is one. So uh, Danny, Ryan, and I uh, go to the dance of the decades, right? Because we're going to be social, right? At least around our sophomore year, right? Uh, so we're going to be like social, right? And so we uh, we're like, all right. And they're like, they want to get some liquid courage. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm okay with that. You know, and we're in Danny's mom's Camry, right? <laughs> <laughs> A Camry, the 93 Camry, things are still on the road, right? You know? That another time I drove it for him because he was too drunk, but I was drunk and I backed him into somewhere and I got paint on the bumper. So another thing, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, so yeah, so we're uh, we're drinking booze. I think we have like a bottle of champagne or something because what's mm-hmm. kind of random. And uh, Danny opens his <clears throat> and it sprays all over the car, right? Oh no! And then uh, he's like, "Oh man!" And Dan- Danny's always got like the cardigan, right? So he goes and he wipes it all up and everything like that. And then we continue to drink. And in my head, I have this moment. I'm like, I think that for some reason, I think this is like a bad idea. I'm not going to like fully drink right now. It's like the only time I've ever had that moment, right? And this is ironic why consequences happen to me, right? As <clears throat> about this for like years right <laughs> and so uh so uh we finished drinking and we go to the dance right ryan and i we go to the dance we're like having fun we're dancing ryan's you know the social animal right so he's you know <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. up with everybody and stuff like that we're saying hi to like principal tanaka and like things like that and stuff and all of a sudden we're like where's danny and we go and we turn <laughs> back we look back right and Danny's there with the police officer, you know, mm. standing there. And he looks up at us and the police officer turns his head and looks at us and just goes, come right here, right? So what Danny had done, uh, he decided to put his cardigan back on that he cleaned up the champagne, right? <laughs> so like in that sense, uh, you know, and so then uh, they're like, have you been drinking? I'm like, I only had half a beer, which I think was almost true, right? And he's like, yeah, he's like, but you're like 15. So you can't drink. Yeah, it's not okay. <laughs> so then uh, so then we go in the, in the school, little, like, I don't know if you're ever in their little police office in the school thing, you know? I think so. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> the experience I've had, you know? And then uh, and they're trying to call my parents. My parents are out of town. Cell phones don't exist yet. Like, none of that stuff. So they have to call my grandma, right? Mm. To come pick me up. And uh, what they did do is I had cigarettes in my pocket. I think it was like a pack of camels, you know. So I'm like dumping that inside the couch, you know, like and stuff like that. But I had to have my grandma come pick me up, which was just like, 
oh man, you don't want your grandma to think of you. Yeah, you're nice, like Mormon grandma to like do that, you know? Yeah. But that was that was the consequence, like so far, right? So yeah. um, and I got a little bit of trouble from that. Uh that happened uh well yeah i don't know if i got in trouble for like volleyball for that one i may have already been in trouble i'd get kicked out of the sports team every for like something right right you know mostly because like you got a big mouth right and uh yeah and I, was, I was pretty arrogant you know i was pretty loud i'd mouth off to teachers and things like that so so that kind of got me a lot of trouble but the ironic thing was is after that sophomore experience my junior experience uh, you know, I just took like journalism, you know, yearbook, theater, you know, just like classes, I, like creative writing class with uh, Miss McGarvey, which I, mm-hmm. love. I love I, that class. Yeah. Outstanding. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I had this life set up. All I had to do is pass one science class. I fail every year because fucking like just, just doesn't work with me. Right. <laughs> Hard time. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, but anyways, like, what I'm doing is uh, I'm drinking Boone's Farm or smoking weed before I go to my, and I have a math class, math class every morning, graded algebra, did like math competitions. I'm not taking like an honors class because why are you going to do that? I want to hang out with people I like actually, right? <laughs> like, and I'm not trying to overachieve, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was doing great. I'd get like, uh, I'd get like, uh, I think I had four A's, a B, like a D in science, you know what I mean? Like something like that. And the B was because I just like ditch all the time, you know? And I'd be stoned or like drunk doing problems on the math board, you know, like the, the extra credit problems and doing great. And I wasn't getting any behavioral trouble, you know what I mean? But then like something like a play or a sports season would come around. And that's when I would say like, oh, I have to like focus now. And that's when I would get into it with like school police officers. I had a big thing with that. And it was like when I was abstinent is when this would happen, right? Mm-hmm. Because wound so tight. It's like you took away my solution. It's like I needed to like, something to like calm me down because any tools for living you know what I mean? right I yeah only to like pause and like think and being stoned like gave me like a release or like sometimes or being drunk especially gave me release from my head for a period of time and kind of let, it helped me be more passive and just let things go you know what i mean yeah so um yeah i got into it with a school police officer um that one got me a uh i had to have a a review with the school board three officials from the school board mm-hmm. and they had to review our file in our case and that's when i was given the option to attend bonanza high school as opposed to being expelled from all schools in clark county you know basically uh this one school police officer took a hat that meant a lot to me because my brother gave it to me right before he got married and she went and grabbed sitting at a table of people full of hats right she goes and reaches and grabs mine like pulls my hair while she does it and takes it home in her car with her so I'm driving some of uh, my other buddies home and I, find, I see them behind her. And so I'm like, I'm going to follow her. Right. And they're like, can you let us out? I'm like, yeah. You know, and then I got into it and obviously, you know, that ended up with me being in juvenile hall, like once again, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I didn't have any way to regulate myself. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I couldn't like let stuff go. It's <clears> like <throat> one of those qualities that can be great if it's turned in the right direction, but with near all gas no brakes in the wrong direction and no one's staring the car doesn't work out so well so i actually got in more trouble when i was sober right because hmm. i didn't have a buffer right right so like anything to like pause you know uh so yeah that was that was the end of my junior year once again i get kicked out of school kicked off the sports teams uh 
you know, that little situation where I called my German teacher an alcoholic, that one just kind of ironic when I was 15, you know, and uh, said some mean things to her. She was, she was a drinker, you know, but uh, at the same time, uh, I had to finish the whole fourth quarter of my uh, German class, like in the, in the vice principal's office. So I had to do that. But I wasn't like messed up like while I was doing these things. Right. right you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in right. that moment, I wasn't, you know, but, um, but yeah, I just have this thing where like, uh, yeah, that's a lot of difficulty letting stuff go. So that's what I've been, one of my challenges of sobriety is, is learning how to take that type of focus and dedication and not let it get the best of me, like wear me out with workaholism or like just running down paths that like there's, there's no good possible outcome. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what was life like right after high school? Once you didn't have these, um, these people, you know, hassling you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. What, what, so, uh, so yeah. So they gave me the option to go to the, sec- the second high school, Bonanza, right? And uh, I started attending school there. Um, you know, I did a uh, last half of my junior year, the next half of my senior year. And I was ahead on credit. So I was doing like four classes. Um, you know, uh, I was just, my mode was into being an adult, right? I was working in restaurants, uh, hanging out with college kids, you know, a bunch of people that worked in uh, the forum shops with Caesars and a bunch of UNLV theater students and just, uh, just being older than my age, basically, you know, is what it was. And I had like a work study class. So really I was only going to three classes. Right. And I would go out, I would go work these hardships at restaurants, make a ton of money. Cause when you're a kid, right. Like you're loaded. If you just made a hundred bucks, you're just loaded. Yeah. You, know you know how many CDs you can buy with that? Yeah, <laughs> that time a lot. You can buy with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, uh, so yeah, so I was doing that and I would show up, uh, I'd show up late to school. I'd have things like chocolate, like on my arm from busing tables. Cause we just leave the restaurant and go out to like clubs, you know, and I'm just like not coming home. Right. And I'm like, I'm like 17, uh, just barely turning 18 years old. And that's, that's how my behavior is. I ended up uh, getting kicked out of that school. Um, I was directing a one act play for like a senior project over there. And uh, this guy in my play, we, we made an inappropriate joke that was kind of masks, right? That we did a bunch like in our rehearsals in front of the teacher and she never saw it. And then everyone saw it like on the play night, right? Mm-hmm. It was an athlete, right? And then uh, my head rolled because I was on a behavioral contract in a new school, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, they tried to separate us and do all this stuff or whatever it was like, uh, you know, get me kicked out of school. And I just remember like uh, going back to my parents' house and I'm just like, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, they don't know I've been, I'm trying to get the the message off the phone, you know, that your son's been kicked out, you know? And uh, yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, so I ended up doing that. And uh, I'm like, gosh, well, maybe your life's going wrong. I got a call from some guy from the Marines. It's like, it's really well in your ASVAB. I'm like, how much does that pay? This all happened within like the day that I'd been kicked out of school and at home going to my parents' house, trying to, the, to, to get on the answering machine to delete it, right? Uh, but also just before that, um, I'd actually moved out with uh, three of my buddies in a four bedroom apartment, right? While we were seniors in high school, so once again, I wanted to grow up. Um, and then of course I saw that, I just kind of said, well, this is your moment of choice. And I'm like, no, I'm gonna double down on this. And like you said, how fun is life gonna be without any like supervision, right? So. <laughs> So we have our own apartment. Uh, we're having parties at all the time. Uh, I meet some people. I learn how to make fake IDs. Uh, you know, uh, eventually that turns into like selling drugs and whatever. And I can just party all the time. 
you know, how do you make fake IDs? I have like an endless source of income and like no responsibility. It was like my dream life, my dream yeah. music. You know what I mean? Sounds awesome, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was outstanding. Some people are like, uh, you know, my worst day is better. You know, sober is like better than like, I was like, no way, man. I had fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> Like it was great. And uh, we started going to 24 hour, you know, 24 hour clubs, uh, raves in California, hip hop parties, like all these type of things. And I just had this very open, free life with no job, a car, no responsibilities, you know, unless supply of drugs, uh, unless supply of money, as far as I could see, you know, and uh, it was just like a nonstop party. You know, um, what happened was after about six months of doing that, because my family doesn't know what to do. Uh, uh, I get a tax return check, right, uh, sent to the house for my previous year of working, and uh, they withhold it from me, right, and so I go in, and this is like some real, like, rich kid shit that you do, you know, so I take the car that actually they've paid for, right, and I start running into, like, another one of their cars, right, because they won't give me this check, and uh, and uh, they call the police, the police find some baggies on me, a knife which has been used to slice up, you know, some substance, uh, whatever it was and he goes you have an option to go to Monta Vista hospital right or I can take you to jail right and I'm like uh and uh to me I just don't see anything wrong with what I'm doing it's always what other people are doing you know it's like they withheld the check for me that's that's their fucking problem right you know um and uh and uh I go can I smoke at this Monta Vista place and they're like yeah I'm like let's go there right and that led to me, and they call an ambulance, right? And it's kind of like the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, I'm suicidal, you know, whatever. And they get you into this place, you know what I mean? Uh, so they have paramedics come out. Um, they strap you down on a gurney, and they put me back in the car. And this is the first time I believed I was, maybe the second time I believed I was 12-stepped and uh, by someone in recovery. And uh, they unstrap me. They're like, you know, you're just a drug addict. You're not going to hurt yourself or anything like that. And this guy is probably like 25, 26 uh seems like a nice guy you know like uh seems like kind of a cool guy and he's telling me how he used to do drugs and alcohol and now he doesn't have to do that anymore and this is how exciting his life is and this and that so sitting there 12 stepping right and it planted like a little seed inside my head because to me like i said before my alcohol is a solution to my problem how i treat my alcoholism is alcohol right mm -hmm. i think i had that ism prior to that i was prone to it biologically right yeah I used it and it just like, that's what I've been waiting for for my whole entire life. You know what I mean? Right. And so, uh, and it kind of like, you know, made a, made a little, little chicken in the wall of my ego, you know what I mean? Just chipped away at it a little bit, you know, uh, about what I thought about life. Um, you know, and then they talked to me for a bit, strapped me back down and put me into this hospital. And this nurse, this real nurse ratchet is like, I need to get a urine sample. I'm like, it's July in Las Vegas. I'm a meth user, uh, really short on water right now. You know what I mean? So ask her for a water. And of course, you know, with your, if you're a drug addict, you're less than, right? So instead of giving me water, she hooks me up with a catheter and I'm like, fuck recovery, dude. I do not want this, you know, to pull this little bit of brown urine out of myself because I'm completely dehydrated. Jesus. And I'm just like, I'm just like, fuck, man. You know, I was like, that was like degrading, right? Unnecessary and fucking painful, right? So immediately I'm not having a positive recovery experience based off of this, you know? Uh, consequences of my actions though, I gotta admit that and then uh I go to Monte Vista hospital and uh you know they put you in the psych side for like three days and it's uh you know it's really it's you know, there's people with severe mental illness there you know what I mean um um and I remember I was watching I think like Dave Letterman like after 10 right because uh and the lady's like 
hey, you need to go to sleep, you know, and then she was like, oh, no, you're okay, because they're like, you're just a drug addict alcoholic, right, <laughs> you know what I mean, so like, oh, you'll be fine, yeah, you know what I mean, <clears throat> uh, so I do the three days, I'm extremely rude to the doctors, right, I don't participate in therapy, I'm pissed off that they got me basic brand cigarettes, right, I'm dying of alcoholism and drug addiction, but then I still have standards for my cigarettes, they're not like brand name camel menthols, you know what I mean, a slide box, right, and then, uh, then I get transferred to the other side, right, um, and that's where I'm exposed to my first eight, AA meetings or 12-step meetings. I believe it was an NA meeting uh, where this guy brought in a meeting to me and he'd been sober for like 10, 11 years, right? Probably like in his like late 20s or something like that. He kind of had this Trent Reznor black hair thing type of thing going on and like this and that. Like, I just like don't know what to think of it, you know? Um, and he was telling us, he's like, yeah, I do all types of things. Like I go to concerts, uh, like with my sponsor. I'm like, what's the sponsor? Right. And he tells me, I'm like, why, why the fuck would you want that guy? Right. <laughs> like, it's going to ruin everything because I can't conceptualize life without it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm like judging this and that. I'm looking around everyone in the room. I'm like, man, these people got problems. This guy's taking his wife's grocery money to buy weed. I mean, I'm like, I sell weed and I smoke weed with people. Like, things are different. Right. And I learned a few things. I learned that there's some hardcore daily drinkers. Right. There's this guy who's a, he was a UPS delivery driver and a stand-up comedian, alcoholic, right? And uh, I learned drinking alcohol was frowned upon, right? I learned that uh, they're probably not going to go for like controlled meth use or me just using psychedelics, you know? Um, probably not going to go do that, right? Um, so I got to develop a plan because what everyone is doing in this meeting, I know there is an aspect of abstinence, right? Was everyone's just given this plan of what they're going to do moving forward. But they're also bad that they have the same common where like they can't do anything, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, oh, would you like to share? I go, yeah, my name's Joe. Uh, yeah, so I'm just gonna really focus on uh, mushrooms and uh, marijuana. It's from the earth, right? Um, you know, uh, you know, I'm gonna stay away from the hard stuff, you know, and uh, I really don't see any issues with that. You know, I'm gonna try when I take psychedelics and I take them with people. And they're just like hammering me, right? You know, but I can't conceptualize it, you know, because I found my solution as far as I see it, you know? Right. And it was always circumstantial. I was, I was here because of my parents. I was here because of police. I was here because of school police officers, principals, anything, you know? Someone else, something else. Yeah, the world behaved, you know, everything would be okay. These were all just bad, bad instances, right? A string of them, a long string of them, right? And they had nothing to do with, with drugs or alcohol because that's how my disease work is that, it protects that more than anything that's <laughs> best friend. You know, it's like, it gets you to think it's, it's the disease is your best friend, you know, like right. your only way that you can experience relief. So, um, uh, so yeah. And, uh, uh, eventually I stayed in that place for four additional days after the three day hold. Cause I thought I had to be there. I thought I was court ordered. Right. And I found out I wasn't, I could just walk out and like, I just wasted like four years of my life. Probably missed like some of the best acid trips ever. You know, I was like so resentful. But I had these thoughts inside my head based off the EMT, uh, the UPS driver guy, and these other people I spoke with. And they're like, you're going to leave and go to this. It was a big concert for what I think 107.5 at the intramural field or something like that, you know. And uh, they're like, you're going to go there and you're going to get drunk. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to get drunk. But in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do a bunch of other shit too, you know. And so I tried to stay sober. like try and stay sober. So I go back to my party house apartment. They moved out when we were 18. Mm -hmm. And uh and I made it 45 minutes, right? I did a designated driver thing and I'm like jumping out of my skin. I'm like going crazy, right? 
because I don't want to live. And I remember I drove people home and it was so difficult because I was sober and I didn't know how that felt anymore. You know what I mean? It was so challenging me for that. And then I, uh, and then I go back after I go back after that. I'm like, okay, give me a bottle again. Give me a beer. You know what I mean? Two weeks later, my buddies who I drink and use with once again, just people, high school kids, experimenting, pre-college kids, experimenting, uh, we're having a party at our place, like 30, 40 people in like a two bedroom apartment as you do. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yes. uh, a bunch of my best friends at the time pulled me into this room and, uh, and they sit me down. I'm like, what's going on here. Right. They're like, um, and there's like black lights and like glow stars everywhere and mushroom posters, right? Outcast is playing, you know? And they're like, uh, and they're like, we just uh, got expressed our concern for you is that uh, we were a little concerned for you before, right? Cause you, but you went to this rehab thing and now you're worse, right? Like you're worse, right? And so this was their best attempt at intervention, you know? Right. And, uh, so I take the intervention because I point out that I've made everyone with a fake ID for free. And then I add all the ones that have secretly done methamphetamines with me on the side that pretend they don't do it. And that's not like it doesn't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? No leg to stand on as far as that goes. Um, but yes, yeah, so then uh, things start to progress my club life, dealing life. And I have, I have periods where I'm able to manage and hold a job and, and kind of stabilize things. But, I, but I'm never fully satisfied. Um, and that goes on until I was around 22. And then I sincerely started trying to want to stop and I just kept on failing. You know, period of sobriety, relapse, period of sobriety, relapse, completely baffled, not knowing what's going to happen, right? You know what I mean? I have no idea how this process actually works, but I was powerless, you know? I was, I believe I was powerless over alcohol probably around the age of 14, 15, you know, is where I was. It did become apparent to me until I was older, until I experienced consequences, right? Um, but I was powerless over alcohol. I never, I never cared to regulate, you know? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I drank for the sole purpose of the effect, you know, to get messed up. Right. Uh, the colloquialism is like, I drink to get fucked up. Right. <laughs> Essentially that's what it is. Cause I don't want to feel whatever I'm feeling. I want to feel different. I want to see different. And, and after a period of time, it's, it's to becomes what I do, you know, uh, around 25, 26, that's when my recovery really started. And I started seeing, uh, social workers, psychiatrists, therapists, uh, those type of things. But I always had that thing back in my head. Uh, those people I did those meetings, they were going to say sober, right? But I didn't know what that life looked like, you know? So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I just like, I was hopeless for years. I was ashamed. I was terrified, you know, because I couldn't stay sober. <laughs> so what what changed on the final try that stuck? What was different about that versus the ones that failed? Um, so it's like, um, you know, here's the strange thing is that when I stopped my using wasn't and drinking wasn't even as bad as it ever been. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, it'd been, it'd been way worse periods of times, you know what I mean? But that feeling of like hopelessness and like despair, you know what I mean? That I felt and I carried with myself, the overall dissatisfaction with my life, you know, the sense of meaningless that I had eventually, I think it, it just, that drove me to a point of, of sincerely asking for help. And from my experience, uh, what I did was I went to treatment, right? Um, and I get to treatment and, uh, and I didn't want to go to treatment to become entirely sober because I couldn't understand that yet. So I'm like, you just seem to like smoke weed and control how you drink. You know what I mean? And take Xanax because nothing ever bad happens on Xanax. You can't leave the house, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> right, yeah. And then, uh, and then uh, that was my plan. And I went to a, a wilderness treatment center because 
a dude going to inpatient, I wouldn't have lost it, right? Because I'll just leave, right? So I went up to this. I had, luckily, I had this opportunity to do this. And I get out there. I'm like, what the fuck did I just do? I'm stuck out here. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but it gave me a break from actual use to experience something else, to wake up to how poorly I'd been feeling, uh, to see the gravity of my situation. And there was this uh, social worker in LCSW. Um, There's another guy, Alan, uh, requested that she bring out a big book and an A book, right? And, uh, and, she, and I learned later that she had like, you know, 25, 30 years sober. She was like some sobriety ninja lady, you know, to me, she's just a social worker, you know, really gritty, but like, I got her. I'm like, oh, you get it. Like, you know, like, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, like, Alan's like this kid, he's, I'm like 26, he's like 21. He's like, I did this thing once. I stayed sober like nine months. I'm like, are you kidding me? Nine months sober? I'm like, all right, let me see that. And I read it and it just like clicked like in my head. I could read the stories, the way it described things, uh, the bottoms, the powerlessness and everything. I'm like, oh, this like totally makes sense to me, right? So my period of just skimming across bottom got me to a point of readiness to be able to accept that I think just, just openly, you know, in, in that type of sense. And so like my thoughts started to change, right? And uh, we started having meetings out there in the wilderness. It was like me and him and a couple other kids were like, like 18, you know what I mean? That like, like I had a quarter ounce of weed once and now I'm here. I was like, all right, yeah. <laughs> like I'm like moving like 10 pounds, you know, like <laughs> you know what I mean? But like I could see myself like at like 16. I was like, oh I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of them just had co-occurring like mental health issues and like I'm like, I get it. But me and Alan had these meetings and we would read these stories and we could identify with them. And it's like it was like weird. It's like I was able to accept the severity and gravity of my life situation and how horrific my drinking was and my drug use and everything accompanying it because there is a possibility of hope, right? So I'd have those horrific experiences where you just go like my nasty nine month run of just like whatever. And you're like, what the fuck do I do with my life? Um, I, I white knuckle it for like a week and then I would go back in, into delusion because I didn't see a way out, right? It was yeah. more, more comfortable to live in delusion than to feel complete hopelessness. Absolutely. I can never get out of it, right? So our brain's a great negotiator, right? You know what I mean? Diseases, these little chatterbox gets in your ear. But that's what it was. So I was, I was skimming across the bottoms for years. But it got me to a point of readiness to where I was willing to do like whatever it took. And I go, and I started looking at it. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't do weed. It's not, kind of hard to get a job with weed. You know what I mean? I'm like, it is illegal. And I was like, and then my ex, I was like, yeah, Xanax is it's not illegal, but you get it illegally. Like you're not a doctor, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I just like whittled it down. And, uh, and for me, um, and I don't think everyone that's a drug addict is an alcoholic. Don't think, I don't, I don't think they are two totally different things. Yeah. But I looked at my alcoholism and I saw that uh, I never regulated. I tried to like regulate. I did an alcoholic test when I was, when I was 25. I didn't know what I was doing. I go, you just have a problem with drugs. Here, get three bottles, have a drink after work. And I did that a couple of times and ended up just like, uh, I would have like two or three drinks one night after work. The next day I would just clear out all the bottles. You know what I mean? Cause I was never satisfied with it, you know? Um, and I would just be like, what the fuck is happening? Are you an alcoholic? Right? Like, why can't you just do this? Like normal people I was completely baffled. You know, I just had this dream of just being able to go out with the guys to like a show and like drink beers. You know what I mean? I that is that. the dream, right? That is the <laughs> yeah. foolish. Yeah. I don't know what's the there's the there's a phrase that I'm I'm forgetting, but yes, it's the foolish dream of yeah. every alcoholic to be a normal drinker, right? 
Yeah, yeah. It's like I want we want our lives to look like a Heineken commercial, right? What mm-hmm. my what my life looks like is like a Schlitz commercial <laughs> and like meth ad, like pushed together, right? And you never see advertisements for Schlitz because like your life fucking sucks if you're drinking Schlitz, right? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just understood. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, but yeah, that's what we want it to look like. And I just I was just baffled as to why I couldn't do that. You know, um, I was always a hard worker. I was good at restaurant work. You know, I could do all these certain things. Uh, I was good at making friends. I was doing this stuff and everything. But like, I just could not defeat alcohol. You know, I could not defeat drugs. I just couldn't do it. So those things started to whittle away. And I go to this social worker lady and I'm like, uh, her name is Beth. She's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I go to where I go, I go, I think I want to do aftercare. And she's like, I think you're full of shit. Right. <laughs> but we'll talk about it later. I'm like, all right, Beth. Like, I'm actually like really serious about it time you know and uh i wouldn't i saw out a place and all i understood was it was two bucks and there has to be something here for me right and i go i can give this a try for three months you know first it was like i'll give this a month you know and i'll give it two months i give this a try for three months you know um and i found an aftercare place and like they're like yeah you can go to meetings here and i'm like sweet sign it up you know it'll be in a year-long place right so it's like pretty intensive right but like, I didn't care. And I just had that thing where, uh, you know, I just kept on doing what people asked of me. I was working with a sponsor, uh, being a service. And uh, around that six month point time, I realized I wasn't putting a timestamp on how long I was going to try this, you know, anymore. And I started to feel like fulfilled and having a purpose. You know what I mean? Um, I started to feel connected. I started like authentically laughing again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I started to have some hope in my life, you know, and I was going to men's meetings, 12 set meetings every day. Uh, wake up in the morning praying and just doing all these all these specific things these actions led to better outcomes you know yeah Yeah, i think um that too and what i appreciate about your your story is the the amount of failure in the beginning (laughs) and let me explain (laughs) is that i think that it's very easy to get discouraged as an alcoholic i spent most of my life discouraged and all i did was drink to to cover it up and so to hear that it was a a progressive, I mean, alcohol is a progressive disease, right? But also your recovery was, a it was a progressive recovery. It yes. took a while and then you're like, I'll do it for a month. I'll do it for two months, three months. And then it slowly, but surely you're like, oh, this is just how I live now because the 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 outcome is better. The, the results are right here in front of me and everything yeah. feels fine rather than, I know that I was, you know, like, well, where's my, I, I want my moment of clarity, or not my moment of clarity, but I wanted the epiphany, right? And I still yeah. never got this sort of like beam <laughs> of light. There was no, God did yeah. not Burning rush bugs. down from the heavens and, and pluck me from the depths. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. I know that now that's fine. Um, yeah. And as somebody described it as, well, John, your recovery is more of the educational variety. Meaning you are going to learn this lesson by lesson, piece by piece, you know, brick by brick and nail by nail. And by the end of whatever, maybe the end of your life, you will have built something that's worth living in. And so um, that's what I hear in yours, you know, when you talk about that sort of progression into it until it's just like, oh, I'm here. This is me now. Yeah. And I think uh, as far as educational variety, um, 
I I question that, right? Because for well, first off, we're alcoholics, right? Mm-hmm. So we always want these big grandiose like burning bush experiences. That guy had a burning bush. Where's my burning bush? You know what I mean? But the reality is, is that uh, like uh, I'm sure you can experience this in your own recovery. It's like you're doing what you want to do. You're happy, right? You live a health centered life. You have interesting relationships with people, right? And even sober five six years, right? Yeah, six. Yeah, and how long did you drink for? uh 17 18 that's pretty 19 yeah so that's still pretty sudden to me right yeah so like at six months i had thoughts where like i cared about other people and their well-being to me that's a burning bush right true so like on a friday night going to a 12-step meeting because i want to be sober and i was a person who would stay up on math for two three weeks at a time right Jesus, that's that's mind blowing yeah. that this happened. So, like, uh, we had our home group last night, right? We started this uh, young people's meeting in Central Phoenix, and Young's like young and hard. There's people like I'm like I'm like, almost like the daddy of the group, you know what I mean? But there's 17 year olds, some people that are like in their 50s, uh, sometimes 60s, going to this meeting, and uh, yeah, there's like probably about 110, 115 people at it, right? Mm-hmm. On a Friday night. And then we all go do things like go to the art walk afterwards. We go out to eat afterwards. We do things like this. Like that's fucking mind blowing that people would do that. Right. Yeah. Given that how we were previously. So sometimes yeah. I think we, uh, we downplay and we start to like, I know I've done this myself. Mm. Or I start to think that I'm having a normal experience being involved in the, and a recovery community. And the reality is it's not, man. <laughs> it's extremely abnormal. Right. And I have to have some gratitude for that because, you know, if, uh, you know, if the time, times were different, it was 1925, then I, mean, I have a lot of options, you know, a padded room, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm going to have. So like, but yeah, it's like fat, it's like the effect that I see it produce on a lot of people. So I get the educational variety thing and maybe we don't have like some like white light experience, but I think sometimes there's sudden, just we don't realize how it's happening, you know, and there's so much beauty in these small little changes that we have that are like not huge observable things right so it's like for instance like uh, when i got sober they gave me a educational testing i had a reading level of the sixth grade right um i got a master's degree in public administration healthcare right now like i could say whoa i got a master's degree but there was a whole bunch of small little actions that led up to that right yeah uh, i can look at my id right now and i'm like oh that's my real address my id right <laughs> I'm like, I'm a registered voter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those are spiritual experiences to me. So I think we have to like give credit to those sort of things because sometimes my address would be uh, 10, 12 residences behind where I was actually living, you know, on my driver's license. So sometimes we have to find beauty in these real, in these subtleties. You know what I mean? And instead of picking up a drink, I'm picking up another alcoholic. That's indicative of a huge shift in like who we are as a person, you know, and whatever, whatever, ideas or conceptions about life that we have it's such a monumental type of shift you know to have you know like uh i talked to my sponsor once a week so uh i shared a a fear inventory for him right Mm -hmm. it's mind-blowing to me i didn't share my fears with anybody right unless there's a selfish reason or i was trying to manipulate something you know or some like self-seeking type of attention you know i was like i wrote this little fear inventory i'm gonna share with you he's like yeah sure and we just go over it and talk for like 35, 40 minutes, you know? So, yeah, I get the educational variety, but the changes and the upheavals you see 
um, I think a lot of them are really, really like, uh, yeah, it just really happened suddenly. You know, like I got a guy that's got about three months now. He's got devil horns implanted in his heads, right? Beautiful human being, right? And like he's sitting there like like writing inventory and doing a four-step and like doing well at it and texting people. I'm like, hey, I hope you're having a great day and like this and that. Fucking mind-blowing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so mind-blowing. So the stories you hear with people are just fascinating, you know? The, the experiences we experience as recovered alcoholics are far more spiritual than we like to give them credit for yeah because <laughs> yeah i mean I, i'll be the first one to say that i i am certainly i am guilty of downplaying my successes and you know yeah. uh and showcasing my failures constantly to myself yeah. you know oh. um so that's i mean i and i love that i appreciate that and i will take that thank you very much um yeah. i will live my spiritual life today in every <laughs> little way that it comes um, you know, and I, one of the other, yeah, I have this just, just the, the, the magic of the community, right. Um, I had an issue in the backyard and there's a tree in the middle of the stream and whatever, and there's potential for flooding on one side. And I text a guy I know, and I said, Hey, do you know anybody who does trees? And yeah. the next day a guy is at the truck, he comes to my house in a truck I've never met before. And we're like talking yeah. about it. He's coming this afternoon to come yeah. help me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to pay the man, of course, or my landlady is, but um, yeah. like that it was, there's, there's all these different people yeah. having all these different experiences and this idea of just helping somebody with something that is not always recovery based, right. That can be service oh, yeah. as well. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So these people got, got jobs and lives, you know what I mean? So like, uh, I found my accountant through AA friends. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I got these businesses are like getting an account. Who should I get, get this guy. You know what I mean? Right. Because of all of us, you know what I mean? Uh, like, uh, we got a friend who does, uh, who does insurance. Right. So he's like the mm -hmm. insurance. Guy, right? Uh, you know, we're, uh, about to, uh, we're looking to purchase a house. So we have like a loan guy that's in recovery that like, Never tried to promote that he was a loan guy to us. He was just our friend in recovery. And we're like, oh yeah, you do this, huh? You know. Mm -hmm. But there's huge resources, you know. Um, so there's a, a line in the big work where it talks about a fellowship growing up about us, right? Um, that I think like really rings true is that there's so many more resources uh, for that, you know. Um, I think like if you have a good network, yeah, you can you can find the guy with the to remove the tree stump, you know. You can find you can find the <laughs> you know you can you can do things like this you can always find those those people in relation to that you know um but yeah we take these people who are extremely like selfish alcoholics i know it was all i cared mm -hmm. about myself and my problems and then in like a matter of months they're caring about other people and seeing what they can add to something that's mind-blowing right yeah and I don't think that happens like any other place right? yeah you know like I, I wish there would be other places but it doesn't always happen in the other place uh, 12 step groups are really unique uh, in their community aid aspect. You know, uh, they're essentially loosely organized uh, anarchist institutions. You know, every place you go, everyone's different. Even like I'm in Phoenix right now, it's a huge metro area. There's like 8,000 meetings. There's different yeah. cultures for different meetings. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And you can always go find your tribe and do these type of things. You know, right. there's a few basic components is that we lost the power of choice in regards to alcohol right and we have a common solution that we can mostly agree upon right mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> you know yeah 
Yeah, no, that's great. And I mean, I've always said to people, my advice to myself first and foremost, and to other people is I'll hear, I went to a meeting. I didn't really like it. And I'm like, well, go find another one. Well, if you don't like that one, go find another one. And if you don't like that one, go find another one. You will eventually find one that clicks because they are so different. Oh, totally. It's, it's, it's huge. And it's not like a, and that's the beauty of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, but yeah, I can definitely see that. My, my words, people, I'm always like, find your tribe. (laughs) You can find your tribe, right? Yeah. You know? And so I got my Friday night meeting I go to, and then I got a group of guys I meet for coffee on Sunday mornings when I haven't been out too late, you know? Right. And that's sufficient, you know, that's sufficient for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I do want to ask two more questions before you go. Um, one is, um, is there anything like how many years do you have now? I got 17 years, January 7th. 17 I, uh, years. years yeah. Um, is there anything that you struggle with today in sobriety? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, so physical sobriety, like everything's like great, you know, like your first like year and a half, I'm sure you get this right. You know, you're just like happy just to like not be like, you know, dying every day, you know what I mean? Uh, and I think we go to this part where like we make amends, me making amends was like paying off fines and like things like that, you know, like making it so my credit's clear, like things like that. Uh, but then uh, I think after your first year, you get into the rest of it and you start to get this process of learning and knowing who you are and loving yourself you know and going through this process of self-discovery um you know and getting a life you know like well whatever it is we describe as a good life you know um i struggle with uh food right you know uh in the past i struggled with compulsive dating right Mm -hmm. money has been a huge thing for me you know insecurity around finances and uh and not knowing what to do with money right i ended up being fairly successful a few years ago and spiritually I wasn't ready for it. Right. You know, and I would just be blown through money, just like crazy, you know, like, and yeah, and just and like, it's never enough, you know, uh, kind of what my story happened is I got I was super involved in AA for like my first seven, eight years. And then I was like, you know, like, flip this, where's mine. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I don't think you need to be like involved in AA, but it should be definitely be on some type of like, path of spiritual ingenuity and spiritual growth you know what i mean like those type of things and i started to focus on business i'm like i'm like these assholes are like yeah man i'm like gonna be like that right so so essentially i made my higher power like uh image uh money my business and um i was at uh 14 years uh you know i'd gone through a breakup because of my own behavior um you know i was in a penthouse apartment second tallest building in phoenix Three bedroom apartment on the 25th store, like overlooking the city, beautiful apartment, uh, money in my bank account, and all these things. And I had a couple bottles of wine on the counter, you know, in a window that I was looking at. And uh, and I sat and I thought about it for about three days, uh, completely sober, um, didn't, uh, yeah, just, just so depressed and frustrated, um, you know, angry. And just whatever it was, so dissatisfied with life because I was putting my solution outside of myself. And once I do that, it's never enough. You know, that's what I learned with my alcoholism, right? Um, so <laughs> I turned all other things into, into bottles because bottles are just a symbol, right? And uh, I didn't feel connected with people. I didn't feel like my life had meaning and purpose, you know? So essentially I had an existential crisis and it was so stressful where I was sweating, right? And finally I go text my buddy, right? He's like, and it was about, I was working with him on some contracts for some stuff. 
And I go, oh, and I knew he was in recovery. He wasn't always in recovery when I knew him, but I'm like, this guy got three years. This is amazing, right? I knew him before he got really sober, you know? Mm-hmm. So I go, uh, I go, yeah, I'm also uh, thinking about drinking right now. And uh, and uh, I think I said, I may have said potentially killing myself. I need to get a service equipment, a sponsor, and a home group and start fresh. And uh, I need to get a sponsor who doesn't care that I have like 14 years of sobriety. And I need to start fresh, like something has to work with me. And he goes, uh, I think uh, I think I know just the guy that's my current sponsor today, right? And I'm like, tell me about him. He won't tell me about him. He doesn't tell me anything about him, right? Because he knows, like, I, I fancy myself a smart person. I'm going to, like, you know, intellectualize. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then he goes, come to my home group this, uh, tonight. It's a men's meeting, right? And uh, I'm like, all right. And so I show up uh, five minutes late to this men's meeting because I'm dying of alcoholism, right? So, <laughs> so I can be late, right? And I walk by the counter and in Arizona, these tickets for your ticket, right? And I see all these tickets and they like, looks, the guy looks at me like, I want a ticket. I'm like, yeah. you know, because <laughs> I'm dying of alcoholism. So I'm going to do the least amount possible. So I go and I sit all the way in the corner of this room. There's probably like 110, 120 men in this room. I go sit all the way in the corner, right? Uh, they do the intro and they have announcements, a little break. And, uh, and they go announcements. And this guy sitting right next to me is like, yeah, um, we're just looking for people uh, to go take these meetings into Calvary Healthcare on a Saturday night and this night, you know, this and that. And I'm like, oh, there's my service commit, right? So I go, hey, my name is Joe. And I introduced myself to him. I'm like, yeah, I'm free on a Saturday night. So I got shit else to do. I'm dying of alcoholism, right? And he's like, how much time do you have? He's like, oh, great. You know, and I start doing these panels with that. And then I meet another guy who's got a meeting on Tuesday nights. So I'm like, I'll go do that one with you too, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And then, um, and then the meeting goes on and uh, the speaker shares and like they pull tickets, they go for burning desires of people who want to want to kill themselves or like have a desire to drink. And my buddy, like, I don't know if I can convey this in words, but he like looks over from the other side of the room. And he's like, you know, like some like goofy look. I'm like, fuck, dude. I go, yeah, my name's Joe, an alcoholic. And I throw it all out there. I go, this is what I'm dealing with. Uh, like compulsive dating, like nothing means anything, you know, this and that. I'm thinking about a drink or doing a drug and this and that. And I just throw it all out there in a group of like guys. Some of them were like, uh, a couple of them were like my clients, you know, for like business stuff I do. I give a fuck, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, and, that, and that, that's what I did. And, uh, you know, they kind of like came around me and they gave me suggestions. And, uh, you know, then I went and met with that, uh, that sponsor he had set up. I started meeting with him on a Tuesday night at the same place. We read through the book. And it was exactly the same as the first time I did it. And I started to have a new experience with that. Um, I changed up all my business contacts. I dropped people. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, and I put myself in a potential for like tons of debt. But I'm like, I can't look like this anymore. You know what I mean? I don't like myself, you know? So I right. dropped people. And luckily, God just like took care of it. I go, I have to be like completely honest, straight up and do these things, all, all my stuff. So I was uh, right. 10 steps every night, praying every morning, doing all these things. And even the sponsor and going through the book like I was a newcomer, right? And uh, within about uh, within about a month, uh, like three weeks a month, I had like nine sponsees, right? It's like sponsoring like nine people, right? I was like, fuck, like I don't have like a minute to like rest, you know? And I started making meetings because I moved to a new town that I hadn't really gotten set up. I didn't really have my people there, right? Mm-hmm. I was making meetings anytime I had free time, uh, time to whoever it was. I remember after about like uh, two weeks, my buddy goes to me. He's like, are you doing better now? The buddy that kind of hooked me up with the sponsor and all that stuff. And he's like, you know what? I'm like, you know what, Tim? Like, I'm like crying at night, but I'm like happy. 
You know what I mean? I'm like really happy because my life means something, you know? So when the book says we uh, experience a new freedom and a new happiness, my experience is, is that I'm going to hit these bottoms where I, in this situation, I realized my alcoholism had the power to kill without alcohol, right? You know, yeah. it became very apparent to me that that's what this thing does is alcohol is just a symptom. And I knew that intellectually and I've heard people say it, but I really knew it, you know? Um, and then my life just started progressively get, getting better as far as that goes, you know? And yeah. I just continued doing those type of things, you know? But, um, but yeah, so like, uh, yeah, finding like a meaning, meaning and path in life is a huge thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I talk about my diet. My diet gets terrible. You know what I mean? I do. <laughs> the, I do. I struggle with I'll, it all the time. Yeah, I'll feed, I'll like medicate myself with food. You know? Yeah. Also eating. Um, yeah, like uh, yeah, just different things like that. But um, I, <clears> I <throat> find the same solution to it, and it generally seems to work. You know, yeah. like there's a difference between self-management and then turning things to whatever prayer, meditation, inventory, talking to other people, and then having a change arise, right? so yeah and speaking of inventory and speaking of um you know things like shame and being honest about stuff and you know i think i would be remiss in our conversation if i didn't express and discuss a particular experience that you and i shared together a very long time ago which i i think you're comfortable with sharing yeah, I'm comfortable with sharing. Okay, okay, good. Because yeah. I wasn't sure if I was going to be, um, but that probably means I need to share it, you know. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but in early in high school, so we must have been like 16, and you were like 14 or something like that. And I'm I'm almost certain we were out drinking because we often were. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you and I shared a brief but sustained sexual experience together. Yeah. And I don't know how much it's tied into my alcoholism, other than. I was drunk at the time, or at least inebriated on some level, but I know that those kinds of things can be very hard for a man, right, to share with another man, let alone the rest of the world now. But, um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that, like, I feel as if there's such a hardcore stigma on it that it means that I am not worthy or I'm not a man or I'm not good enough or that I have some moral failing because of an experience that I had. And none of that is true. And I just wanted to, um, you know, ask you about your feelings and you've mentioned that you've, you've shared this before in meetings and stuff as well. Um, I don't think I've shared it like too much, like in meetings, but like, uh, I've heard a lot of fist steps, right. And what I learned with hearing these fist steps, I had a sponsor who shared some of his experiences with me. And I, you know, it made me feel okay to share his experiences with him. Um, and so I've shared things like this with a lot of sponsees, tons of things, you know, uh, tons of stuff where I, like stuff I just tried to push down, you know, right. out of day. But this particular experience, I don't even feel like it's something I'm like uh, truly ashamed of. I think at the time, I didn't feel uh, grossly ashamed of it, but uh, for myself, but I was worried what other people would think of me, right? Yeah. And like, we're just such, we're so socially bound, especially in that time. And we grew up in a different time, you know? Um, it's fascinating to see me to kids right now and to be like out in high school. That like never happened, like when no. we were growing up. We would, that was the time where like, they would cancel people for being homosexual. It was crazy. Now I look at it, it was like absolutely crazy. So there's a big taboo, and of course it ties in there self-concept, but 
once you've lived a life, you realize that like there's some extremely like manly men that are that are homosexuals, right? Right. Like, <clears throat> even has nothing to do with anything, right? But yeah, like um, uh, yeah, we were messed up, and I and I tell the joking story because it happened inside a sauna, right? And I go, yes. let me tell this story. I'm like, it was really steamy. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, how? I was like, we're in a sauna, right? You know, and, <laughs> and all those types of things. But yeah, I cared. Uh, I carried shame about. It. As I'm in recovery, I'll, I'll I'll talk about it with people all the time. I don't want to like go yeah. and learn about it. I typically wouldn't tell it to like my mom's. I know that would kind of like affect her, you know. But yeah, we have to do these things. These things when we when we when we don't share them, we aren't open without them. They fester inside of us. They lose yeah. their power when we share them with another human being, right? Yeah. So that's what the recovery process is: is that we have these whole lives we don't share with anybody, right? Then in these dyads, we can have these things, lay them out, and realize they're not as big as what we thought, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a saying, and some people will say, I, I, this is the saying I don't like. We're only as sick as our secrets. The saying I do like is, we're only as sick as we are a secret, right? Because the first one implies to me that, like, there's something bad. You know what I mean? Those secrets are shameful. Um, for me to, like, get well is I have to open up these things I won't tell anybody. It's not, it's about living my life out loud, not just the things that, like, I'm ashamed to share about, but all of it. Sharing with people my successes, you know, sharing with everything about myself be an authentic person, you know? And, uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I was really worried about what other people thought about that. But the best thing about that was, is that I think like in that friend group, a bunch of people had had that experience, you know, like there's a camping one and like a thing like that. Is that <laughs> your, your kids or your experiment, you know? Yeah. And regardless, there's nothing wrong with it anyway. So, right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, right. Yeah. But at the time you, it's, it was far more normal. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And yet we were made to believe that we would be ostracized to be shamed. And so we, we internalize that shame that we imagine would come from other people to protect ourselves from that. And then we just, yeah. it just, like you said, it festers. So, um, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, and I didn't share, I don't think I openly shared about that with maybe like one person. Um, I talked about that with maybe one or two. Yeah. Uh, prior to getting sober and then I, I let that stuff out but I mean I had like a whole bunch of like adverse sexual experiences that were like way worse than that one that I had to like let out and go right. on like share out in the altar you know but uh it's yeah. enough, that experience is uh I think there's a part in the big book where it says uh it talks about uh our past is one of the, one of the best assets we have with it we can avert death and misery for countless others sometimes sharing those experiences that people don't openly talk about with somebody gives them permission to do that and stop living in the dark, you know, to start living their life out loud. That's the beautiful thing about AA is an inventory and sharing stuff is that it just puts us all in an even thing. We all, we all see our humanness. And yeah. Recovery, like in my head, I thought I'd be like walking on water and it's like, no, like your goal is, is to become comfortable with being a human, right? And accepting the fullness of you is, you know, your higher powers, we'll say your higher power, both good and bad. We're just these, these amazing, like, flawed creatures, and to learn to love that, right? You know, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that's one of my big aspect of my alcoholism is that feeling of being alone and separate from and disconnected from, right? And uh, isolated, I've only one that's experienced this or had that. And the starting point is with my alcohol use, you know, my drug use. But it extends way beyond that to all these human experiences that we've had, you know, 
even down to daily emotions, like like what my fear is about such and such today. You know what I mean? Right. Or whatever it is, is that we put those things out in the open, we get a chance to to work with them. You know. Beautiful. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm so glad that um that I whatever I shared, whatever you found on Facebook one day, and you reached out to me and we're like, hey, I want to hear your story. I didn't know yeah. you were sober, or I had found this out, and you're like. Oh, me too. Like, huh? Interesting. This is a guy I know who's yeah. doing the same thing I'm doing it, but I want to know how he's doing it differently. And like, had you not done that, I never would have thought to talk with you. I never would have got to reconnect with you. I never would have been able to have this conversation with you. So yeah. thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for the invite and doing this. You know, I, my fear inventory of the day is that, is that, uh, it's funny. I was like, I wrote this out and shared with my sponsor. I go, I have a fear that I'm the most uninteresting person in the world. And John and I are going to talk, right? Because I hear your other people. I'm like, I'm like, oh, she's lifting weights, right? She's uh -huh. like, what am I doing? You know, I'm like sitting on the couch eating, you know, whatever. But uh, it's been a wonderful conversation. And I think I reached out to you. I had a different last name on my Facebook because I wanted to keep the separate business. Model. Yeah. I probably didn't know who the, who the fuck this is. You know, I didn't. I, mean? I was yeah. like, who is this guy? And why does you he want to talk to me? Like, you, you you think I'm trying to sell you Bitcoin or like something like that? I did. Yeah. I did. <laughs> but uh, but it's been great for me to like to see you and to see you post things and listen to your podcast. It's extremely insightful. I go to my wife, I'm like, this guy like actually gets it. He's not like he's like realistic recovery guy. Like he's like, you know what I mean? He's like, he's like doing it. It's like, you know, he's not like, you know, like some psycho, you know, or like someone that's just like doesn't have he's like seriously doing this thing. Um, and also like to see your stuff you've done with like running and like things like that you know um it's like fascinates me and brings me hope because i, I knew you were, when you were younger you would not go running oh you don't seem like the running type at all no not at like, all oh, this is beautiful this guy is totally doing this and like having this thing i'm like this is fascinating you know so it's, it's a been, whole nother aspect of recovery yeah. for me that like oh, totally. is yeah. still a struggle. You know, you talk about food and I could spend another hour with you talking about how yeah. I'm addicted to sugar and I am, I'm yeah. binging and per not purging, but you know, restricting and, and it's, but anyhow, um, yeah. yeah, man, I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm, I, I honestly, like this whole thing was really just for me to try to figure things out myself and in some ways. I mean, yeah. if it helps people and I hope that it does, yeah. but like, it was really just to try and like sort yeah. my own shit out. Right. We want to, we want to, we want to put a puzzle together is what we want right. to do. Every time I, I talk with someone else and I hear them mm -hmm. or I go to a meeting or I hear somebody, I'm like, Oh, there's a little piece of the puzzle. Does that like fit? So we work yeah. out our stories and eventually we get this narrative that makes sense. You yeah. Know I mean? This story. Um, what's the basic components of this story is that you either didn't have something and you gained it. Or you had something, you lost it, you gained it, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, so that's like what we're working out here as a story. As we come in with like half a story, basically, you know, and then through these conversations, we start to, you know, get to really know ourselves and love ourselves. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, well, yeah. Joe, thank you so much for your time, man. Um, yeah. And I'll be in touch. And uh, yeah, no, this was great. I really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. I'll keep on following the cast. <laughs> okay. <The> cast. <clears throat> Uh, patron right yeah patron subscriber that's me so yeah thanks. patreon subscriber yes um <laughs> cool um thank you again <clears throat> all right take care john Bye. great job yeah, appreciate you thanks again for listening our music as always is by neglect you can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com 
And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>